Let's take our Bibles this morning and go to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. We've been in the, in the book of Philippians on Sunday mornings, <clears throat> and this morning we're, we're going to have, it's kind of an, uh, an introduction to a new subject, and one of the ways that you can know it's an introduction to a new subject is he uses the word finally. He uses the word finally, but he's not concluding his letter because he's only about halfway through. This is how we know that Paul was a good Baptist preacher because he gives you hope that he's about done, but he's not, all right? And so he says, finally, but uh, we're going to we're going to get into this text this morning, and, and the title of the message is Beware of Dogs. And you might think, well, where'd you come up with that catchy title? Well, it's right here in the text, all right? So it wasn't all that creative of me, uh, but Philippians chapter 3. Let's stand together if you're able as we read, beginning in verse number 1. So Paul says, finally, meaning we're halfway through, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, if you remember, that's been the theme of the book of Philippians is joy and rejoicing because we're not rejoicing in the circumstances. We're rejoicing in the Lord who never changes. So we can always rejoice as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, right? Rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might, have might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that he hath whereof he may trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Paul starts this chapter of the book of Philippians, this letter to the church at Philippi, and he encourages them once again to rejoice in the Lord, but then he says this, he says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And what, what he's really saying here is this, that I, I am writing this letter to you, and, and much of what I am writing is not necessarily new truth. These are things that you have heard, that you've received before, but I want you to know that that's not, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> to write to you things that I have already told you, uh, it's not a problem for me. And, and I would say too that this is something, and I know I preached on this really a few weeks ago on a Sunday night from uh, 2 Peter, where so much of the book of 2 Peter is putting them into remembrance uh, of things that they already knew, but, but what he's saying is, listen, you... 
You've heard these things before, but you need to hear them again. And let me just encourage you and admonish you, don't ever get to the point in your life as a Christian where you feel that you have arrived and you don't need to be reminded of things from time to time. Uh, maybe, maybe at times you've, you've had kind of a, a bad attitude or started to roll your eyes when the preacher says, let's open to such and such a place, and you think, oh man, I've heard this before. I know this all, uh, and, and, but the thing is, folks, we need to be reminded of some things. And so he says to, to, to write the same things to you, it, to me it's not grievous, he says, but for you it is safe. In other words, this is, this is for your own good. This is for your own safety, for your own security. Why? Because he's going to go on and he's going to warn them about some things that they need to be aware of and some things that they need to be watchful of. And the thing that's going to keep them from falling into error is actually being grounded and being reminded in the truth that they know. You see, so often we're faced with new ideas and new philosophies and a new twist on some kind of a false doctrine. And, and the way that we can combat that and the way that we can overcome that is to be continually reminding ourselves of the basic truths of the Word of God. I, I, I personally can benefit from being reminded of things that I have known for my entire life. I am encouraged when I'm reminded of the gospel that Christ died for our sins. We sang the songs that we sang this morning were really in reference to that. That last song that we sang, what was it? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And you know what? Sometimes I'll find myself in a place of discouragement, a, a, a place where I feel like a failure because of sin that I've struggled with and, and I thought I got the victory over it and then I still find myself going back and and confessing the same things over again and thought, man, how could God ever love me? You know, it's good to be reminded that before God's throne, I have a high priest who's on the right hand of the Father, an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who's pleading for me. I mean, it's good to be reminded of simple truths that we've known and be encouraged in them. And sometimes I, I was encouraged several weeks ago sitting and listening to a preacher as he went through the proofs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, I, I, again, I grew up hearing these truths. I went through Bible college. I've, I've sat through all of the, not all, but obviously many different uh, uh, you know, lectures and debates about the proof of, uh, and of the reality, the truth of the bodily resurrection of Christ. And these are things that I know. These are arguments that I could give. But, you know, sitting and just being reminded... Of these truths, it's, it's encouraging. Man, isn't it good to be reminded that we serve a living Savior? He's a risen Savior. And it's encouraging. So, so Paul says, I'm writing these things to you today because you need to be reminded of some truth because there are some people that are going to come in and try to convince you otherwise. And you need to beware Notice that first ver verse word of verse number two is beware. And he even says, beware of dogs. Now, I, I personally can relate to this because anytime I see a sign that says beware of dog, you know what I do? I take heed to that sign. Some people are, are unwilling to, to go out on visitation and knock doors and things like that because they're afraid of talking to people. I'll talk to people all day long. What I don't like is facing the dogs. I've been bit too many times. 
I've been bit by dogs that had never bit anyone before. You just ask their, oh, he doesn't bite. He's real friendly. He just wants, it's the way he shows his love. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. You go to knock on that door and you hear that, I mean, you can tell this thing is going to stand at least at throat level, you know? I put my foot against the door. That screen door that opens outward, I put my foot against it. Beware of dogs. <laughs> What's he saying? He's obviously not talking about the animal, dogs. He's talking about people. But he was using dogs as, a, as a, an illustration for the type of people that they are. You understand that in, in the Bible days, dogs weren't considered a lovable pet. They weren't fur babies, okay? They were animals that were usually wild, that were scavengers. They were considered unclean and they were considered dangerous. And he says that there are people who are going to enter in among you within the church that are going to be like dogs. They are going to cause problems. They are going to cause issues within the church. My mind goes to uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 where, where Paul is warning the elders of the church at, church at Ephesus and he says, Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the church over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. He says, for, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. There will be people who come in uh, who seek to destroy God's people and to tear them down. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of those people who are going to come in and cause issues and cause problems. And then, and then he uses this word, beware of the concision. Now this word concision, maybe if you are not real familiar with your King James Bible, you figure, well, this is just kind of an old English word that we don't use so much anymore today. There's something really interesting, though, about the word concision. This word appears only one time in, in the English Bible. The concision. And so you say, well, okay, the, the, the English word appears one time. What about the Greek word behind it? And I know you're thinking that, because I thought that too as I was studying this. This word appears one time in the Bible. You go back to the Greek word, it only appears one time in the Bible. The word concision, the word katatome uh, in, in Greek, what does it mean? It means, it, it's actually a reference to people who harm their bodies, who mutilate their bodies. People who cut themselves and things of that nature. You say, well, what, what does that have to do with Paul's warning here? Well, if you look at the next verse, it, it gives us understanding of what he's talking about. He says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and in truth. So what he's actually talking about here is the issue of circumcision. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that circumcision was actually a, a big issue in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God gave the command to Abraham to be circumcised and ultimately all of his descendants to be circumcised, not like we would think of today for hygienic reasons or medical reasons, but, but they were to do so as a visible picture that there was something different about them, that they were a distinct people, that they belonged to the Lord. And really, in essence, it was an outward 
uh, symbol of a spiritual truth, and that was that they were God's chosen people. And this, this, this action of, of actually altering part of their body would, have, uh, would be an, a visible or an outward picture of a spiritual truth of what was going on inside. The, the modern uh, uh, example of that, and don't misunderstand me in this way, but we baptize people not because it has any spiritual effect on them, it, it doesn't make someone saved or not saved, whether they're baptized or not, but the baptism is a picture of something that's taken place in their heart. It's a visible outward expression of a spiritual truth on the inside. Now, some people have said that baptism is the, the uh, New Testament equivalent of circumcision. It's not. They're two different things, and we won't get into all of that today, but I just want to simply say that the idea here is, is and, and what I really believe that Paul is getting at is this, that there are these people, these dogs, these evil workers who are going to come in to the church and try to persuade them and sway them into false doctrine, and they are going to be people that are of the circumcision. These would be uh, Jews, uh, Jewish people who had been saved perhaps, that we're going to come in and try to convince these Gentile believers that somehow they're, in order to be born again, in order to be, to be part of God's family, they themselves would have to submit to circumcision and essentially become a Jew. And we know that this was a heresy in the first century. The book of Galatians was written for the express purpose of identifying that issue and that doctrinal error. And so these, uh, the, these Hellenistic Jews apparently were going around uh, these Gentile churches and trying to convince them, listen, salvation is both by grace through faith and by adding in the works of the law of Moses. And this is a false doctrine. And so when Paul is speaking of this circumcision, and he, he uses the word concision to speak of Self-mutilation. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Here's the point. Here's the reason I believe he uses this word that's somewhat of a derogatory term. What he's saying is this. If your understanding of the, your spiritual condition is all based upon the outward, you're in error. If... The reason you get circumcised is because you think that it's doing something for you spiritually. All you're really doing is cutting yourself. It's not, it doesn't have any actual value to you because he says we are the circumcision. The true circumcision is that which is of the heart. He says in verse 3, we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Those who really belong to the Lord, it's not those who have done something and altered their physical body in some way that have made themselves part of God's heritage. Those who know the Lord are those who've been circumcised in the heart. The idea is this, that, 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 that again, the, that picture, that symbol that God gave to Abraham and to his descendants to identify themselves as God's people, it was never meant to be a practice in which a person became a child of God by this particular action. It was always meant to be an outward expression of that which was already true of them. 
Folks, when we, and I, I know I mentioned this before, but think, think with me on this. When we fill the waters of that baptistry and we bring a, a new convert down into the water and we baptize them in water, this is not... This is not a spiritual ritual that gives them some kind of a greater standing with God or makes them in some way, uh, uh, you know, cleansed, as some people would say, that, well, baptism is the washing away of sin. Listen, water doesn't wash away sin. There's one thing that washes away sin. It's the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin, it says in 1 John 1, 7. It is the, the blood of Christ that washes away sin. Water does not wash away sin. You say, well, okay, then what, what are we doing when we baptize? Well, baptism is this picture. And it's the reason that baptism always needs to be by immersion. Because baptism is a picture that as Christ died and was buried, and he rose again, that he granted to us eternal life through faith in him. That is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's a picture of the gospel. But you know what? When a person gets saved, when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are buried with him in his death. We die to self. The old man dies and is buried and we are resurrected to new life in Christ. We have been born again and so as Christ died and was buried and rose again, so too that which he has done in our lives, we have died to who we were and we are now a new creature in Christ and we are being raised to walk in newness of life and so it is a symbol, it is a picture, it's an expression of what God has done. But to dunk someone in water doesn't do anything for them spiritually. All it does is makes them wet. And Paul's saying to be circumcised doesn't do anything for you spiritually. To the Jews, God gave this symbol, this picture, but it, it was nothing in itself. It was meant to simply show forth that which was true. In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 28 through 29, it says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is, that neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. So a person could be circumcised and still be away from God and not part of God's inheritance. Likewise, today, a person can be baptized and be lost. In fact, many, many are. You could be baptized in these waters or in any waters every day of your life and still die and go to hell because it does nothing for you in your spiritual standing. What matters is not that which is outward, is the point of all of this. What matters is what is going on on the inside. And in order to be right with God, you must be born again. In order to be right with God, it's not simply 
just doing certain things outwardly. No, it's actually a change that takes place from the inside out. Now, today, where we stand in 21st century American Christianity, we don't necessarily have people who are striving to identify as Jews. But is it not true that we have people that strive to identify as a Christian and everything that they can point to that makes them a Christian is all about that which is external? When I ask someone, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? Do you know what I usually get? Well, I I think so. I hope so. Oh, okay, well, why is that? Well, I try to be a good person, and, you know, I, I pray, and I go to church, and I got baptized back here in this time in my life. Some of them, you know, I got baptized as a baby, or some of them it was, it was a decision that they made as, a, as a, 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 you know, a teenager or an adult or something like that. But here's the thing. Their understanding of what makes them right with God is all about what's outside. And this flies in the face of the true gospel, which is this, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not about you doing certain things or looking a certain way on the outside. It's about God's work in your heart. Have you been born again? Now, I think that the majority of people that I'm speaking with this morning have been born again. I don't know your heart, it's between you and God, and I can only see that which is outward, but God knows the truth of what's going on in your life. But I think I'm speaking to a lot of Christians today. I would have to say that oftentimes we have fallen prey to the dogs and the evil workers and the concision in that we believe, whether maybe not in reality, but in practice we believe, that somehow our spiritual life is all about what we do outwardly. Go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to tell you that we need to be very careful in judging our spiritual condition or that of others by that which is on the outside. Why do we need to be careful about that? Because we can play a pretty good game on the outside. And if, if all we're looking at is the external, we can convince ourselves that everything is okay when that may not be the case. Look at verse number 1 of Matthew 6. He says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms... Let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. 
what's he saying? Now, giving alms, this was something where, as back in those days, there were a lot of poor people, and they, they didn't have a welfare system or something like that. If someone became uh, physically handicapped, they weren't able to work, there was no income. They were left to beg if no one was there to take care of them. And so it was a very common thing to see beggars who literally, they had no other option. They were dependent on other people just to, to give them and help them. And, and so they, they called that giving alms. So he says, when you do your alms, when you give your alms, when you contribute to people, don't, don't do that to be seen of men. I find it interesting. I don't, I don't keep track of who's giving what in the church. That's between you and God. But there have been times, not as a pastor, but just serving in a church, where I was tasked with either counting the, the offerings that would come in or as one of the ushers sorting through it. And it was always fascinating to me how, how often we would, we would take up an offering and then we'd, we'd bring it back to the office and as we're kind of sorting through it to put it in the safe, uh, we would find blank, empty envelopes. Because what would happen is as people would pass the offering plate, they didn't want to not put something in so they'd take an envelope and they would put it in the offering plate so that everyone around them would think that they were giving an offering when they hadn't given anything. Now here's the thing. First of all, you need to know God knows the truth. And secondly... You ought not to be doing what you do, even if you're the biggest giver in the church. You ought not to do that so that other people see that. That's the wrong motivation. He said, you ought, you ought to give so that God sees. He says the same thing about prayer in verse number 5. He says the same thing about fasting in verse number 16. In, in this whole chapter, Jesus is teaching that you need to not live your life to be seen of men. Don't do the things that you're doing outwardly thinking that you're bettering yourself or bettering your standing because other people are impressed with what they see in you. And I've said it before, it really doesn't matter what others think of you. What matters is what God knows about you. But let me say this also, it doesn't really matter what others think of you or what you think of yourself. What matters is what God knows about you. Because friend, listen, God knows the truth about you. And here's the thing. I know that this statement, you know, don't, don't worry about what other people think. I know that that gets used incorrectly sometimes. And I hear people say it. Well, you know, they're, they're living a life that's w wicked and sinful, and it's, it's obviously in violation to Scripture. And they say, well, don't judge me. God knows my heart. Let me just tell you something. If you are, to use the language of, of Scripture, if you're circumcised in heart, it will show up outwardly. And I know people use that sometimes as a cop-out. Well, you might think this of me, but God, well, yeah, God does know. God really knows the real you. And it's easy to deceive other people, but here's the scary thing. It's easy even to deceive ourselves 
into believing that we're okay. Because, I, well, I'm doing all these things, but you know, in my heart, I'm sincere. Listen, God knows the truth. God knows the truth. And what really matters is what's going on inside your heart. But I will tell you this. If it's going on inside your heart, it will come out. If, things, if you're, it, you can be lost and look saved. I don't believe from studying the scriptures that you can be saved and look lost for very long. Now, there, there, there might be things, there might be issues, there, we've, we've all got our failures and we've got our flaws, but there's going to be evidence. There's going to be evidence of the fruit of salvation in your life. But listen, it's not just all about what we look like on the outside. It's not about, well, I was in church. Well, I gave money. Well, I dressed a certain way. Well, I sang in the choir. No, 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 no. The motivation for doing the things that we do is not so that I can be. The motivation for doing what we do ought to be because of who I am. Because I've been saved, because I love God, because this is a reality in my life. It's, it's, it's coming from my heart outward. It's, it's, it's working from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so Paul says to the church at Philippi, beware of the concision. Beware of those people who mutilate their bodies thinking that it makes them right with God. They're wrong. They're wrong. And I would say to you, beware of the people who try to make themselves religious in hopes that it's going to make them right with God. They're wrong. You need to be right with God in your heart. And do the things that you do motivated by love. The love of Christ constraineth us. And Paul says in verse number 3 of Philippians 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. I love this. He spoke of the concision. Now he speaks of his confidence. Because he says that those who are really right with God are those who are right with God in their heart and their confidence is not in their own flesh. Listen, friend. Salvation is a matter of the heart. Salvation is a matter of the heart. Verse number 9, look at this. He says, that I, I, I'm doing the things that I do because I, I, I want to know the Lord and be known of Him. Verse 9, he says, And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. Do not miss this, friend. If you miss this, you've missed it all. You've missed everything. When you stand before God, you do not need a resume of religion and good works. Because everything that you can do, I mean the very, you, could, you can be talented, you can be moral, you can be religious, you can have all of these great things, but everything you can do falls under the category of my righteousness. Here's the problem. Isaiah 64 tells us that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It can be a long list, but it's not going to make you right with God. The righteousness you need is a righteousness you don't have, and it is the righteousness of Christ. You need 
Christ's righteousness, which is perfect and sinless and holy, and it is imputed to you, it is placed upon you, it is given to you at the moment of salvation when you realize my very best efforts are not good enough. The only hope that I have is in Jesus, the fact that He died for my sins, that He was buried and that He rose again, that He offers me eternal life through His shed blood. And when you realize that, you turn to Him in repentance. Repentance is a a recognition of our sin and a turning from that sin. And, and, And you place your faith in Jesus alone. You say, Lord, I can't save myself. I need Christ. And when you receive Christ, you receive His righteousness. When God looks at me, friends, He doesn't see all the good things Brian Weiss has done. Praise the Lord for that. He sees what His Son did. Isaiah 61 tells us that He clothes us with the garments of salvation. He covers us with a robe of of righteousness. Here's the thing. Those filthy rags of my sin that I wear make me like that beggar on the street. Clothes are dirty, worn, torn, filthy and nasty. And Christ comes along and he puts over me a perfect robe of righteousness. It's not me. Listen, I have absolute confidence that when I die, I am going to heaven and it has nothing to do with what I've done and everything to do with what He did. I'm saved because of Christ and Christ alone. But why is it that we who are saved know that truth we understand that. We, we, we've got that one down. Okay, Jesus only. Check. I'm saved because I've received Christ as my Savior. But then, somehow, we get it in our head that the way that we please God in this life is all about what we do. I just got to try, try harder, do better. Listen, I'm not saying that we don't put forth effort. We ought to give Christ our everything. But I want you to know this. Jesus said in John chapter 15, and this is our theme for the year, right? Abide in me and I in you. He said, because the branch can't bear fruit of itself. And he said, without me, ye can do nothing. He was speaking to his disciples. He said in John chapter 6, it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. And so if you are trying to please God today, even if you're saved and you're trying to please God today by all the things that you're doing, and you're thinking that you're somehow building a resume, okay, Lord, your confidence is in your flesh. You're trusting in your works. And why would we think If we couldn't save ourselves, why would we think that we can somehow please God with our own efforts? That's not how it works. Beware of the concision. Beware of thinking that it's what we do 
that makes us right with God. Listen, we were saved by God's grace, and we need God's grace to please God. You know, I could get up here and preach in my own strength, in my own wisdom. Well, I put in hours of preparation, and I, and I prepared this message, and I've got years of experience, and I'm going to go and I'm going to do my best. And you know what? I might even succeed in impressing some of you. But is that the end goal? Folks, if my goal was to impress you in preaching, would that not be a pretty shallow reason to do what I'm doing? But if my goal is to honor the Lord, and if my desire is, Lord, would you use me to take your word and preach it to your people, and then you take that word that is preached and change them for your glory, you know what? That's a much higher goal, but it's something I can't do. It's something he has to do. It's something, it, 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 it's Christ through me. And folks, we need to be careful not to place our confidence in our flesh and try to please God with, with what we have to give him. We need to yield to him and allow him to work through us. Romans 8 and verse number 9 simply says this, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And I think about that in all the times that I have tried to do something that I know God would be pleased with. Giving, witnessing, preaching, singing, and those things that I did, I did them in my own strength, in my own wisdom. And there's no fruit in that. Those who are circumcised in heart, those who are right with God in heart, don't place confidence in the flesh. We place confidence in Christ. And so he speaks of the concision, he speaks of confidence, and then he speaks of a change. He said, this was something that God had to do in my life because he says, in verse number four, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And then he goes on and he gives his resume. Circumcised the eighth day. You see, Paul was a Jew himself. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless, all these things. I, I mean, I was the epitome of a Jew. And it did nothing for me. So now that I am saved and in Christ, why would I lean on my own strength? He says in verse number 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. The things that I used to place my confidence in and even my identity in who I was in Christ, I've had to write all those things off. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. You know what Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10? We, we often talk about the one part of it where, where God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. But what he actually says is, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that were given to me, he said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, God brought an issue into his life. And I personally believe it was a physical ailment, a health issue. And he said, God did this to keep me from being exalted above measure. In other words, to keep me humble. God brought humiliation into Paul's life in order that he would not trust in his flesh. Because when he goes in and he says, you know, I, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it would depart from me. And he said, you know, the, but he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God so changed me that he humiliated he, me. He brought me low. He brought me to a place of humili humility so that I could realize the true power of God in my life. Because as long as I was walking confidently in my own strength, in my own flesh, I was absent of the power of God. But when I came to the end of myself, then the power of God was truly known in my life. Christian friend, can I encourage you today in the Lord... Come to the end of yourself and your strength and your wisdom and humble yourself in the sight of the Lord that He may exalt you. Let, let the Lord work in you and through you in such a way that when it's all said and done, the only thing that will be able to be said was not what a great Christian man, what a great Christian woman, but rather what a great God that they served. This is not about us, folks. And our relationship with God is not an outside-in relationship. It's an inside-out relationship. And we need to be changed in our hearts to where we stop trusting and depending upon our flesh and our strength and our wisdom. And we need to yield and submit to Christ and let Him work through us. And so, Christian friend, can I ask you, the things that you are doing, even today, as you come to church, and no doubt many of you have areas of service that you're helping out around here, and I just want to ask you, are you doing that? Are you doing that in your own strength, in your own wisdom, your own abilities? Are you doing that because you think somehow it's going to make you a better Christian? If so, you're looking at it all, all backwards. And you need to start from, I love God, and how can I yield to God so that He can use me how He wants to use me? And then let me ask you this, because I think there are some people here, and I don't know your hearts. God does. But I can't help but think that there are some who are sitting here listening, who you're still trusting in yourself that you're righteous. You're still believing, you know, if I do enough, 
if I try enough, if I'm good enough, then there's no way a good and kind and fair and loving God would send me to hell. Here's the problem, friend. The very best you have is filth. We're sinners. We're tainted. You don't need your righteousness. You need Christ's righteousness. And that is only received by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. And if you have never been born again, Jesus said, ye must be born again. It's not a, you should, this is the best way, this is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. And if you have never received him, can I implore you today, turn to Christ. Receive his gift of eternal life because that is your only hope. But it's more than just a, a wish or a dream, it's a promise. Whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you can be saved today if you'll trust in Christ alone.